Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. I am Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here, whether you're live streaming or live. Really glad to be able to engage with you. This is, as Matthew Hargett mentioned, this is the first message in this series called Real Relationships. And it is based on the message series that we're going to be going through over the next several weeks is really based on this chart that is to my right and to your left on the platform. And, and uh, this is actually the first message I've ever given with a chart behind me. And this is the first series that we've ever started by interrupting the series that came before it to have a guest speaker, which we did a couple of weeks ago. All the, the material that we're going, to be, we're going to be sharing in this series is inspired by a man named John Van Epp. And if you were at Good Shepherd Church a few weeks ago, you heard him give a really compelling message on how it is that we have real relationships and not phony ones. Today, it is called no. And, and if you're really on the ball and paying attention, you know what all the rest of the messages in the series are going to be called. Today, it's called no. And uh, it, it's one of those messages. Usually, the messages on Sunday come from one particular place in the Bible, and we dig into it. And today jumps around a little bit from some different sections in the biblical library. And so if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to locate the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8 and verse 17. Just keep your finger there. We're going to spend a little time in the Gospel of Luke, and that's one section of the biblical library, uh, the, the biography section. And then we're gonna, going to spend some time in Ecclesiastes, and that's kind of the memoir, the, the memoir of despair section. And then 1 Corinthians 13 is where it's all going to wrap up, and that's the the correspondence section of the, uh, of the biblical library. And, and you may have always thought the Bible was a book. It's not. It's not the good book. It's the great library. And that's just kind of a fact. And the other thing that we believe about the biblical library here at Good Shepherd that you may not really be sure about yet, and that's okay. We just like to have clarity about where we stand. We believe it's the only library of its kind on earth. We in leadership, I mean. We believe that the Bible is inspired and eternal and true. And out of that conviction comes a custom that we have, that when we talk about the Bible, we lift it up together. And if, and if you are new this morning, this looks a little bit unusual. And you, you're like, what's the deal with that church? And, and the deal with the church is that we know this is an unusual thing to do. But we have discovered that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community, that we don't have life figured out. And every time we thought we did have life figured out, life proved us wrong. But we know who does, and we're glad to surrender to his authority. Amen? Amen. And before I say anything else, we're going to pray. And even before I pray, if you're like me, a lot of you might, might have been really dialed in, probably over-dialed into the news this week and so concerned about the Middle East. And, and, and as we pray, we're just... We're going to pray for the, the, the safety of Israel, and we're going to pray for an end to terrorism. But more than anything else, we're going to pray that King Jesus is recognized as king in the land of his birth. So let's pray. So God, we do, we, we, well, our hearts are broken as we see death and destruction. We ask that you would protect uh, Israel. We ask that you would protect innocent lives. We ask that your name as King Jesus would be known in that land where you lived and where you taught and where you died and even where you resurrected. 
We, we pray that out of this unspeakable evil, that you would massage some undeniable good that King Jesus is acknowledged as Lord. And Father, I also ask that King Jesus would be acknowledged as Lord in my message and that everything that's good and right and joyful and true about the Holy Spirit would just be abundantly clear by what I say and by how people hear it. In the strong, saving name of our King, we pray. Amen. So we are, uh, as, as you can tell, as I've already said, we, we're starting this new series called Relationships. And today's message is called Know, K-N-O-W. And it's, it's really very interesting, the, the, the lengths to which people will go to be known for something. Actually, the, the heights to which they'll go to be known for something because it, people will do things that are illegal, or irrational, or completely unpredictable, also that at the end of the day, they will be known for something. And my, my favorite along these lines is, is a guy named, from France named Alain Robert. We have Alain's picture. How y'all like my French accent going on? And Alain Robert, he is what is known as a free form skyscraper climber. Now, Elaine Robert was born on August the 7th, 1962. That's his born on date, 8762. Keep that down, write that down. It's extremely important. And as he's grown up, Elaine Robert has developed this knack of being able to climb skyscrapers with nothing more than rubber-soled shoes and talcum powder. And using that, he's climbed the Eiffel Tower, he's climbed the Sears Tower, the Patronus Tower in Malaysia, the tallest of them all, the Burj Khalifa in the Middle East. I guess the Empire State Building is just like chop liver. Who bothers with that anymore? And, and so he's climbed all of these buildings. But do you know what, what Alain Robert is known for more than anything else? For still being alive! Because the most remarkable thing about his Wikipedia page is that there is a born on date of 8-7-1962, and it's not followed by a tragically fell to his death date on. It's, it's not there. The links, the heights to which people will, be go, will go to be known for something is really extraordinary. And, and amping it down just a little bit, because I don't think we have any rubber-soled, free-form skyscraper climbers in here. But, and if we do, maybe you need to make an appointment with me and we can talk ab ab about it. But, but, but even amping it down, it's so interesting how much people want to be known for stuff. You want to be known for the degree that you earned, or you, you want to be known for the sale that you made. You want to be known for the subdivision that you live in, the car that you drive, the girl that you dated. We want to be known for our accomplishments and our achievements and our loves. I, I know it. I'm, this is like so me. I mean, I want to be known for stuff related to ministry, and I want to be known for stuff related to tennis. I want to be known for stuff that's all about me. In fact, if I'm meeting somebody new, you can put a stopwatch on it, and it won't take me very long before we, I can work the conversation. Well, did I, have I told you about me? Enough about you. 
let's talk some about me. Or actually, it's enough, enough about me. Let's don't talk about me anymore. Let's talk about you. Tell me, what do you think about me? That's, <laughs> that, that's how I am. And, 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 and this is, this is how you see this so vividly in people's social media presences, do you not? always smiling on Instagram, always smiling on Facebook. And it is as if, if you project that persona to the world, then you don't have to deal with the person underneath. And we take this sort of logic and we want to be known for these kinds of things, and we take it into the realm of our relationships. And, and when I talk about relationships, and, and, and this series is going to be about the broad, the, 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 the breadth and the depth of relationships, I'm talking about relationships that you have at work, and, and relationships that you have here at church, and, and relationships that moms have with sons, and dads have with daughters. And yeah, I'm talking about romantic relationships that, that might be moving towards seriousness, or even moving towards marriage. And and yes, I am talking about those relationships that people who are married have with one another. And in all of those relationships, so many of us feel, we don't necessarily think it out. We just, we land here naturally, kind of by osmosis. But we think if we can just be impressive, if the person we want to have a relationship with can hold us in some sort of awe, then we will have a leg up on the relationships. And so we, we devote so much time with people at work and with budding romances, and sometimes even with our mates, we want them to know all of our list of, list of accomplishments and achievements so that we are known for something. And some of you who I'm speaking to right now, you're going back in, in your relational history and you realize just how vulnerable you were, just how vulnerable you are, that when someone else in your life where they can impress you, where you're slightly in awe, where you are so mesmerized by the things for which you can know that person, that you've had all kinds of relational trauma as a result. We want to be known for something. And for some of us, we, we want to be so, so known for something that we will do things that are unhealthy, illegal, illogical to get there. And I tell you about all of that because we're going to spend some few, a few more minutes today talking about no what it means to know, what it mean even, means even to be known. And, and as I mentioned earlier, this whole message series, this message and all the ones coming after it and, until Thanksgiving, honestly, are, are based on the work of John Van Epp, who came up with a model of how it is that relationships, all kinds of relationships, how they bond and strengthen. And they all follow this sort of continuing from, continuum from know to trust to rely, to commit, to touch. Let's say those out loud and together with enthusiasm, all right? Know, trust, rely, commit, touch. See, now you know the titles of every message coming up. Oh, you have a leg up on the whole world because you know what titles are, are coming. Now, Here's the problem. Here's what we get into with this relationship model is that we know people just a little bit. 
And what has happened in romantic relationships, particularly over the last 40 or 50 years or so, is that we go from knowing to touching at light speed. We do not pass go. We do not collect $200. We go from nice to meet you tell, well, what are you having for breakfast? Like that from no to touch. I, I saw this in a, in a, in a, an advice column a generation or so ago with a, a dear Abby. Now, for those of you younger in the room or tuning in, a newspaper was this tangible, tactile thing that used to get in your, in your driveway and you could read all about everything that's on the internet. You, you used to have to wait till the next morning to get. And, and in the newspaper, there was an advice column called Dear Abby. And you could write in and, and wait like six months and she'd answer your advice. It's, it's not like throwing a, a survey up there on Facebook or Twitter these days. You get an answer immediately. But someone wrote into, a, a young woman wrote into Dear Abby and she says, generation, generation or half, uh, half I go, my, my new boyfriend and I have started to become intimate and I'm worried about getting pregnant. What do I do? And dear Abby, answer back very sensibly, well, have you talked to him about birth control? And the young woman answered back, I don't know him well enough yet. <laughs> that is going from knowing to touching like that. But it's not just that sort of unhealthy leap from no to trust. At every level of our relationships, we, we are in great danger of making the column to the right higher than the column to the left. Oh, I met you yesterday. Would you like the passcode to my bank account? That's trusting way too much. Oh, I met you two weeks ago. I'm going to rely on you to meet all my emotional needs. Oh, we met last month. Let's get married. See, in healthy relationships, the column on the right, you always know to a greater degree than you trust, rely, commit, or touch. So that's why this model is so genius. And that's why at this church, you may not know this. We not only are having relational groups for singles and singles again and, and couples, your children in the K zone, they're learning about relationship on this. Now, come on, we're not going immediately from no to that kind of touch with third graders, but, but they are learning about relation, healthy relationships. Students, when, when they meet the middle schoolers this morning and the middle and high schoolers tonight, they're doing the the same kinds of uh, instruction and teaching. We think relationships are a really big deal. And so we wanted to devote the entire church life to getting to know all about how it is that you and I can have healthy relationships. And as I mentioned, it all starts out with no. And there is the most interesting pattern, because as I mentioned earlier, when it, when it comes to know you and I and virtually everybody you meet, we want to be known for something. We want to be known for our accomplishments. We want to be known for our wit. We want to be known for our degree. And yet the Bible has the most interesting pattern. It, it starts out with Jesus. And look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter eight and verse 17. Look what he says. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed 
and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. And then Jesus goes on, Luke chapter 12, verse 2. Going to sound familiar. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. He repeats the same verbiage exactly, and it is as if he's telling his followers, one day the mask is going to come off, and you won't be a character anymore. It's going to be whether or not you have character. You won't be a persona. We're going to be looking at the person underneath. Ecclesiastes moves this way. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, this marvelous summary. In 1 Corinthians 13, you may know this, you may not know this. It's this incredible chapter mixing God's love for us with our love for people and, and for, for one another. And Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. Woo! They had issues. And they had relationships that were in conflict and turmoil. And everybody in the Corinthian church, they wanted to be known for something. Can I, if I told you how cool I am, that was like how conversations began in the Corinthian church. And so at, at the end of this long rebuke and correction focused on God's love, look at what Paul says to the Corinthians in chapter 13 and verse 12. He puts it this way. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. And then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am, what? Fully known. Huh. At every level, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, in the, in the memoir section, the gospel section, the letter section, the emphasis seems to be less on what you're known for and who you're known by, less on the image that you project and more on the reality that you're trying to hide, less on how it is that you can have a persona out there, less on your, on your social media person and more on the person underneath and behind. And so all of that pattern, unmistakable in its clarity, it leads me to begin our series with a question. And it's a question that I want you pondering, thinking about, asking yourself, holding yourself accountable to, and it's a question that may well unsettle you. It's this, why work so hard to be known for something when you can be known by someone? Yep. Why do you work so hard to project an image, to count up achievements, to list accomplishments, to be known as a persona when the gift that God gives to us, married or single, parents and children, coworkers, church people, the gift that God gives us is this ability to have a moment of rigorous honesty, to live with consistent transparency, so that we're not known for something, but we're known by someone. And I am convinced that the more we are open to letting ourselves be known, our, our highlight tape and our blooper reel, warts and all, accomplishments and disappointments, that as we allow ourselves to be known, we will so much better live into the reality of knowing and knowing well, we will be on the healthy side of the relational continuum. Why do you spend so much time and so much effort 
wanted to be known for something when you can be known by someone. I can't wait to show you how this works out. Singles and singles again. Can I have a word with you? If, if you said no, I'm, I'm, I'd be like, I'm going to have a word with you anyway. And so let's say you're in a relationship. And let's say the relationship's kind of serious. It might move, be moving to really serious. It might be moving to marriage. And in, in, in the early stages or medium stages of that relationship, you want to be known, man. You want, you want to be known for having your financial house in order. You want to be known for having a good job, at least a pretty good job, at least one that looks good. You want to be known for having a high standard of living. You, you, you want to be known for being solvent. And yet the reality is much different. <laughs> the only reason you have a high standard of living is because you have a higher standard of debt. That you're in debt, you're nearly insolvent. And, and the thing is, you don't want to tell because you're kind of embarrassed. And I just want you to know that if, that if you go through all that courtship and engagement and, and, and you keep that secret about your real financial situation, then on your wedding day, not only will you give your spouse a wedding ring, you'll give them your 230 credit score as well. And that's the least appreciated marriage gift of them all. And if this secret comes out after and not before marriage, it is one of the least pleasant surprises in the history of surprises. I've seen it time and time again, and relationships do not recover from that. And it's all because you had a persona you wanted to project. I got my financial stuff together rather than the person who, of, of, of authenticity. If you have that conversation ahead of time, listen, it may be a deal breaker. Or the person may decide they love you anyway. It just is a lot better to have, and a lot less expensive, come on, to have that conversation before instead of after. And are there any better words to hear, any deeper truth to know than I, I know all your stuff and I love you anyway. By the way, it's, it's not just about your finances. It could have to do with the, the, the sort of trauma that you've endured and maybe even the trauma that you've caused. The skeletons in your closet. That you, unique, unique mix of history and, and events that make you, you. And I just invite every one of you who's single or single again to share those now rather than later. To stop wanting to be known for something. I'm cool. I got it figured out. What a catch you have. And known as some by someone. I'm a mess, but I found myself a Messiah. Why? Why work so hard to be known for something when you can be known by someone? One other thing for singles and singles again. I, I do think that, that you want to be in, in a relationship long enough. You know, you, you don't want to go from no to touch overnight or for no to married overnight. Uh, that, that you want to be in a relationship long enough to have those gasp moments where you've known the person well enough to, whoa, did she really say that? Is that how his family really treats people? 
And, and when you're in the relationship long enough to see the full orb of human behavior, and, and when you slow the relational progression down, then you can make those healthy, biblical, godly decisions. Marrieds. Some of you were thinking, well, I'm sure I'm glad he's talking to single and single again. That doesn't have nothing to do with me. <laughs> One of the saddest um, studies that I've heard of recently was a study that, that, that was done on uh, young families, moms and dads and little kids, and, and their behavior at fast food restaurants, quick service restaurants. And the study found out that in 80% of the families who went, and, and this must have been before COVID because people were actually eating inside the store, and they found out that in 80% of those families, that the family spent 80% of their time not engaged in conversation, not chomping down on a Big Mac, 80% of the time was engaged in their devices. And, and some of you are like, well, kids these days, the parents were more guilty than the children. Listen, and, and the parents berated the children for interrupting them. Can't, why are you talking to me? Can't you see I'm on the internet? How sick is that? Listen, moms and dads and even grandmoms and granddads, you don't want to be known for your love for your device. You don't want to be known for your doom scrolling and how it gets in the way of your kid loving, your spouse cherishing. Recognize that device for the idol that it is. Man, one of the most emotionally healthy decisions I made in a long time was to uh, uh, my, my own device, my mobile device is not connected to the internet. It's a flip phone from 2006. And <laughs> actually, it's not that bad, but you know, you, it doesn't have to be connect, connected to the internet. And I just realized, I don't have to walk around with every bit of information in the history of the world in my left pocket. Because I know myself well enough to know I would be glued to it. I would be uh, addicted to it. Uh, it would get in, the way of, uh, get in the way of my emotional health. And it would get in, in, in the way of relational connection. So uh, it, there, there are worse things in life than the inconvenience of, well, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I got to get back to my desk so I can connect online. So why work so hard to be known for something? And, and moms and dads and grandmoms and granddads, man, you don't want to be known for your device because that's getting in the way of you being known by someone, those little people you cherish that you brought into the world. And all of you, married or single, single again, student. I love this line that they have in Alcoholics Anonymous. There's a line in the, in the ritual of AA that, that, that says we're, we're working hard to develop a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Demand, develop a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. And if you've ever been to an AA meeting, and I've been to a number of them as, as a guest, and, and there is a lot of rigorous honesty there, and there's not much pretending there, because the pilgrims in AA have discovered that the only way to their sobriety and the serenity that results from it is to be rigorously honest with one another and rigorously honest with their maker. And some of you right now may be like, well, what does that have to do with me? I'm not addicted to alcohol. Well, praise the Lord, you're not. But even if you're not, 
Every one of us in this place, you have some kind of compulsive behavior. For you, it could be doom scrolling, or it could be cutting, or it could be shopping, it could be gossiping. We're all powerless over something. And we won't discover the help we need to get over that thing we're powerless about apart from community. And I just got to ask you, who do you have in your life? Who is a voice of wisdom and truth who can speak into your life? Is it someone in a Bible study, a life group? Is Is it a pastor? Is it a therapist? Is it a friend? Is it not a Facebook poll? Please. Is it somebody real who can tell who can tell you those most priceless of words, I know your stuff and I love you anyway. Why do we work so hard to be known for something when we can be known by someone? It's kind of funny how how this breaks through sometimes. This is a couple months ago. It was early, early on a Sunday morning right here. Good Shepherd Church, and I, and I ran into a guy who's out on the stairway, and you know, it was like 8 o'clock, so it's an hour or so before the first service starts. I ran into this guy who I have known for probably 15 years or so, and I haven't known him well, but I've known, knew, known him well enough to go visit him in the hospital when he had an accident, that, that kind of level of knowing. And so we bump into each other early on a Sunday morning, and out of nowhere, he says, hey, I like you a lot better than I used to. And I'm like, is that the most backhanded compliment ever? I mean, it's like, you used to really annoy me. Mostly now you're kind of tolerable. It's the first cousin of, you are really ugly, but you got a great personality. (laughs) And just when I was reeling from this topspin backhanded compliment, he goes on. He goes, I've noticed you've let your guard down over the last couple of years. And I've discovered that I kind of like the person who's not always on the platform, but is in real life. Whatever else I make of it, I make of it that I realize, ah, he'd stop knowing me as preacher and stopped knowing me, started knowing me as person. Why work so hard to be known for something when you can be known by someone? And all I could realize is I had just begun taking my own massively small steps along that journey to authenticity. Won't you join me? Let's pray. So Father, we thank you that you know us and love us anyway. Thank you that you celebrate our accomplishments, that you forgive our rebellion, and you comfort us in our trauma. And I pray now, Lord, that everyone within the sound of my voice would embark on this holy journey away from a persona and into a person that no longer be known for something, but by someone. In the strong and the saving name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody says together, 
Amen.